Welcome to episode 90 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I just wanted to share some things that had come across my email from Boom Learning and Boom Cards, which is another one of those things that we probably wish we had invested in before 2020. But um, we had some former friends of the program that had been highlighted in that email. So there is a uh, video recording of a webinar that is from David Sindri on using boom cards to engage learners. Um, And he is definitely one of my favorite uh, creators of boom cards and one that I use all the time for my uh, students working on articulation and especially my younger ones. So that's a great one. And then on the blog for Boom Learning is Stacy Krause, who has been a repeat uh, guest on here and is a good friend of the podcast. And they uh, are highlighting her and their publisher profile. And then if you are also interested in maybe starting to create and sell your own Boom cards, they also have some webinars going on about that. So that's, I think it's very interesting. I always find things that um, I start doing with my students and I'm like, oh, I wish I could find this resource. And I think that's where those good ones come out of. So that's something that I think is great for us to know how to do and be able to do is create our own ones of those too. Yeah, I need to get my grad students really hooked into the boom learning more and more so they can learn how to do those. Yeah. Um, Because that would, they're always, you know, going to teachers, pay teachers and getting boom cards that way and are going on the boom learning website. So, yeah, I think that could be a great Mm. like project and assignment of, yeah, here's your student, here's their problem. What are you going to create to help them with that problem instead of just finding something somewhere? I think I'm going to write that down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Then they'll have me to blame. (laughs) And you assign that to them. Yes. They, they need to do that and they need to be able to say, if you were doing this in person, what would you do? If you're doing it through telepractice, how would you do it? And and how can you have the same kind of success either way? I like that. And, and so having them really think through that kind of application uh, is where we're going. So, yeah. Well, that's, you know, I, yeah, I wish we would have invested. Uh, it's amazing. I, I would love to know what the sales were or how much revenue boom learning was generating before COVID and what oh, they're doing right. now. Yeah. Cause yeah. were you aware of them before COVID before all this? Which is funny. Cause I did work in telepractice, but not really. Cause yeah. Um, yeah, I had used other, you know, more PDF and static resources, but I had not gotten into boom cards um, until I started hearing about them during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was a, a very small number of people that maybe was doing telepractice that, that had discovered boom learning, and then mm-hmm. suddenly, it, it, you know, with COVID, it just explodes. Everyone's using it, so yeah, I'd yeah. love to see what their revenues are now. <laughs> well, on the podcast today, we have someone who has a great deal of experience in telepractice. Uh, Michelle Boisvert is uh, joining us, and she has done a lot of work uh, 
kids with autism, other children that she has served through telepractice. She has some great ideas about behavior management and, and uh, keeping a, you know, high rates of attendance. And then she's also going to talk about a new product that she has developed, uh, Easy Report Pro. And so I'm, I'm anxious to hear that and hear about that. So. Yep. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. And for those individuals who just may not happen to know your background, can you introduce yourself and and explain a little bit more about your background in telepractice? Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for having me here. And I've been doing telepractice for a while now. I think it's going on about 12 years. Um, I received my PhD in 2011, and the scope of my research was on the use and application of telepractice specifically for students with autism. Since that point, I have published um, articles and book chapters on the use of telepractice, teleAAC. And I'm increasingly interested in the use of strategic uses of technology to not only support telepractice, but also workload management, which interestingly funnels into the telepractice scope of service delivery. Because a lot of those tools um, that help with workload management also help with telepractice. Right, right. So... Uh, how did you first get connected to telepractice? I mean, um, was that, I mean, that was, uh, you had to have some experience with that or some knowledge of it before the PhD, right? I did. And actually it was out of desperation. So <laughs> people can relate now yeah, so we, <laughs> to the we desperation. All, we, yes. yes so. so before starting my PhD, I what I traveled a lot to provide services. And in some of those areas, it was very rural Mm -hmm. where services really weren't there. There wasn't simply enough speech and language pathologists to provide the services that students needed. So that really got me very interested, but in how we could use telepractice. Now back then, and still, we still run into this every now and again, um, we still had to deal with dial-up. High-speed internet really wasn't pervasive at all. And so we had to get very creative and used, at first, a lot of those asynchronous strategies um, that people talk about when conducting telepractice. And then um, in my studies and with a couple really willing and open-minded schools, we were able to try this new thing online speech services. And um, of course, there were a few bumps, but 
we really saw progress. We saw consistency of services. We saw high engagement with students and transfer of skill, which was really exciting. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then, then of course, that rolled into, well, how does this measure up? How does this compare to on-site services? And that was really the focus of my studies. And we I found think, that it compares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I should add that in. Yes. And because your your PhD work is probably one of the first uh, in speech language pathology that looked at telepractice and, and comparing those outcomes. Right. I think it was one of the first, mm-hmm. um, especially in although Todd, you've done some great re- early research as well. Um, <laughs> um also looking at specifically students who were diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. Um, It was one of the first um, published research studies that compared um, the progress students with autism made when receiving on-site services and comparing Mm -hmm. that to online services. And yeah, we found really there was equal engagement, equal progress. Um, Yeah, and it's just a really nice way to deliver these types of services. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. So did you find anything that needed to be adjusted or changed when working with students with autism online? Um, not really. Well, I, not really. Not really something I would say in terms of the things that we found are real, I think are really best practice across the gamut. Let okay. me give you some, I'll give you some examples. Reducing visual clutter. So that means um, enlarging the screen, getting rid of navigation bars, getting rid of any kind of visual distractions that that might take away from the point of the therapy session. Those are helpful for students with autism. Those are helpful for every other student on our caseloads. Um, Visual schedules or setting very clear expectations at the beginning of the session, reviewing expected behaviors. those types of strategies and approaches I find is really helpful in terms of setting up the online telesession. It also helps with my organization in terms of how the flow of the session is going to go. And it kind of takes a little bit of that cognitive load off of me in terms of, okay, this is what I'm doing first. This is what I'm doing next. I can have built in Um, behavior strategies kind of like embedded right into that kind of visual schedule. Um, And of course, like the links and the resources are all right there as well. So that's great. Yeah. I'm people can't see me, but I'm sitting here nodding because (laughs) I do work. I work with um, students that are on the autism spectrum and I work with them through telehealth. And I've noticed a lot of those things. If they are the first to catch if there's anything on my screen that's wonky or weird or distracting. They're the first to catch it. And I've had some students that I'm like, they, it was probably that way for them the whole entire time too. And they never said anything, <laughs> but my students with autism, they're going to mo- notice it and call me on it. So yeah, that's definitely some things that I've noticed and a, a lot of things that are helpful for them. But like you said, it what's helpful for them is helpful for all students as well. Right. And another one, actually, now that you were saying that, that I also use, so what I often notice is sometimes students get really distracted by their own, by their visual, by their like webcam. 
So choosing a platform where you can minimize their camera Mm -hmm. is often really helpful. So we don't want to shut off the camera because we still want to be able to see them, but having them minimize it. Now, when we first started, we used post-it notes. We would use a post-it note and stick (laughs) it right over the camera and that worked. I mean, right over the camera window and that worked Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. That's the low tech solution, right? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> very, very low tech, that is for sure. So why don't you sort of catch us up from from dissertation and graduating with your PhD to to now? Uh, and then I want to get into some of the topics you mentioned earlier. Great. So let's see. Well, so since graduating, um, I started my own practice. And the majority of that service for the first many years was telepractice. I would provide services locally within my state, as well as internationally, which was Mm -hmm. fascinating. I um, Mm -hmm. worked with students in um, Singapore. And um, so that was a fascinating experience, as well as um, the time difference was obviously a (laughs) big factor and not something I necessarily considered to be as big as a factor when I first started. Yes. Five o'clock AM is kind of hard. (laughs) It was hard in my (laughs) life at that time to to deliver services, but well, it was wonderful and well worth it. Um, So, and then since then I've worked a lot in different school systems. Um, So I use telepractice really frequently to not only deliver services, but also to provide supervision um, and obviously using it a lot for meetings, collaboration, um, and some indirect support and services for team members. And then most recently, I've been involved in developing software to help clinicians write effective professional diagnostic reports. And so it's been a really lovely journey on the integrative and strategic uses of technology that we can implement in our field to not only extend clinical services, but kind of help manage our workload expectations. You're you're covering all the bases. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So we do want to get, get to the technology that you're developing now or have developed. But you'd mentioned some behavior management strategies. Can you give us a couple of strategies that you have found to be useful? Absolutely. So one of the biggest concerns I think that clinicians have, especially um, clinicians who are new to uh, to telepractice, is what happens if the student or the client doesn't do what I want them to do? If they leave the session, if they, you know, get upset over lags in audio or video. And so what we found is that a lot of the approaches that can be used in person can also be um, replicated in an online setting. And so some of these I already mentioned. So visual schedules, using things such as first then boards, um, setting very clear expectations of online Zoom behaviors, or even online um, 
etiquette in general. Also, what we have found to be really helpful is embedding planned instructional breaks. Again, very similar to what we would be doing on site. So if the student, say, works for five minutes or does X many tasks, they then can get a planned instructional break. What we found for those breaks, they should be short, have a very clear beginning and end. And I try not to use things where winning or losing is involved <laughs> because sometimes that creates more behaviors. behaviors. <laughs> More behaviors. Yes. Right. So we try to be very mindful as to what sort of activities or just kind of breaks are appropriate for those instructional pauses. Sometimes they're online, it could be like coloring, it could be listen, you know, coloring using a whiteboard, listening to music, watching a short appropriate video. Sometimes it could be take they take a break. Um, and get a drink of water. I had one student do yoga for few, a few <laughs> minutes. And um, so we can be really creative. So that's definitely um, a couple of really good things. Also, um, sometimes students are, um, we see a behavior when there's technical difficulties. So sometimes frustration will happen when again, the video freezes or the audio freezes. And sometimes what we'll see are kids hitting the computer, um, spitting at the computer, walking away. And so when that happens, so what we've done to kind of think about proactively what we can do about that is a couple things. First is we'll talk about the type of tech issues that might arise. Just and, and use it as kind of like a brainstorming. This is what might happen in, this, in the session. When it does happen, what can we do about it? And so together, we'll try to brainstorm strategies. It might be turning off the video for a second. It might be kind of just pausing with everything and trying to give the, like the internet a chance to catch up. For one student... He was using a Chromebook and the audio would, would freeze frequently, but the video would stay pretty live. And so what he did is he decided he would just, he would make and hold up a sign that said, I can't hear you. And that simple method of being able to communicate during a time of high stress, high anxiety, where this technical issue was happening, helped his behavior considerably. And that's a really great example of identifying the problem, kind of brainstorming when um, people were regulated. And then during that time when high frustration did happen, he had a strategy that he could rely on. And I so love that, that idea. That was really helpful. Yeah, I have I have students that they all they're in school together, but I am doing telepractice with them. So they all come in with their laptops and they all log on to my Zoom meeting, but they're in, in the same physical room. So what happens every time is that none of them had headphones, which I've worked on, but none of them had <laughs> headphones. So they log on and I get feedback from everybody's yes. speakers and everybody's mics being on at the same time. 
So we've kind of tried to like, I love your idea of fixing it before the problem. So maybe before I wrap up the next time being like, okay, this student is going to be the one with their sound and video and mic on and everyone else have theirs off when they log in. Right. Absolutely. So like with something like that, you could even like, so have like a, a mock problem where totally you're, you're going to hear echoes. You're going to hear feedback. Yeah. And you can, t- right, describing the situation and then together, yeah, brainstorming. <laughs> Everyone mute themselves and have the right. audio on with one computer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So we found online visual timers um, are really fantastic. You know, even using like screen shades or spotlights to help bring visual attention um, to a certain part of the screen can help students. Um, And a lot of the different types of scaffolding that we would do, again, with typical students to help manage the amount of information that they see, which then kind of regulates their response or reaction to that material um, is helpful as well. Excellent, excellent. And along the same lines in terms of behavior, you mentioned some some ideas about attendance because that could be a behavioral issue as well. How do you right. encourage better attendance and follow through? Yeah, so I love the use, again, of integrative technology. Mm-hmm. So using Google Calendar, so I'm a, like, I really like the Google Suite. Using a Google Calendar and um, inviting people to your, you know, to your event, to your telepractice session, Mm -hmm. um, I found to be really helpful, especially when using the automatic notification. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a setting that you can use right in Google Calendar. And so 30 minutes before the session, um, reminders get sent out. They can get sent out out to people's phones uh, Mm -hmm. via text message, via email, or right to their screen or smartwatch or computer, Mm -hmm. laptop. Um, And in that notification, I will put in like, hey, friendly reminder, here's the direct Zoom link. So they can uh, immediately just click on that link and go to the meeting room, as well as a secondary way of communication. And so it's usually my cell phone number or email. So that type of just automatic cues or reminders is really helpful for students who um, who need that, who benefit from that, um, that kind of in the moment, not in the moment, but like a few minutes before the session, having a pop-up reminder. Um, that's very helpful. It's also very helpful for teachers as well as caregivers who might be responsible for getting their students onto the session. Now, if a student is using, is in an online class, and I want them to transition from that online class say to my therapy room, I actually prefer not to use a separate therapy room, but rather use a breakout room in Zoom. The transition from the online classroom to the breakout room is seamless because the teacher can send them and me right to that breakout room. I am um, a co-presenter, so I can share my screen. We can have shared keyboard and mouse control. And then when the session is done, again, I can send them right back to class. 
they're not responsible for navigating a bunch of different links to try to um, find whatever online course or, or class they're supposed to be at. So those two strategies I've found to be very, very helpful. I love that idea of the breakout rooms and then you have the control of when they exit and go back to. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was one of the most helpful things we realized um, over the past few years, because when we had our own separate link, it was so easy for students to um, leave their classroom and then do, do something else and then not right. click, click on the link for the therapy for our therapy and, and never but come you, back right and then they were like, <laughs> they were like where are they <laughs> yes yeah. so yeah right mm. so having the teacher be able to control um their they're entering the breakout room and then me being able to control them leaving the breakout room and going back to class has been incredibly helpful and yeah. increases attendance tremendously i have another funny story to tell you that <laughs> demonstrates how you should also invite whoever is taking them to the room to join. So um, I had after Christmas break, I there was one student that was not showing up and the other students had said, oh, well, we've seen him at school. He's just not coming. And I was asking the secretary that was getting them down there. She's like, well, I asked him if he was going and he just seemed really confused. So it took us three weeks to realize she was asking the wrong kid with the same first <laughs> name to go to speech, oh. which is why he was so confused. <laughs> so one day the right kid and the wrong kid showed up at the same time. And I'm like, why are you here? I don't know you. What's your name? And that's when I realized that's what was happening. <laughs> so it's great oh to ma also make sure that, and I don't know how we got to January of this, doing this all year. And then that's when we missed up. <laughs> but it's good to know, have your support people on there as well. And making sure they know for sure who's supposed to be there. 100%, 100%. And even, even that's even more important when we're doing um, services to the home. Yeah. So being able to reach out and make sure their caregivers have that information. Mm -hmm. Is essential. And another thing that's been so interesting, um, shifting from delivering services to a school versus to a home. Now, most, most services are either at a school or a clinic now, but, you know, we had a good solid year there where we were delivering services um, to homes is um, the language barrier. So being able to use tools that can translate to make sure that the family is getting the information in their native language or the mm -hmm. um, language that they feel most comfortable in um, was essential. So, yeah. So I used at first a lot of Google Translate. Um, Gmail Outlook has automatic translation features that you can use as well. That's a good great. Yeah. yeah. So. Let's talk about some assessment and related to assessment, um, Easy Report Pro, and the All whole right. platform. So Absolutely. Let's, so how did how did this come about? This is a, a big step to go from clinician to let's develop a new product and market it. So this too arose from desperation, <laughs> as all things seem to do. So. With Easy Report Pro, um, 
I personally was feeling as a clinician burnt out uh, due to the amount of evaluation consents that I was receiving, um, the tight turnaround times, and my strong belief that, I mean, evaluation diagnostic reports are an amazing resource that we as highly experienced clinicians can give to clients, to students, to teams, to caregivers, to advocates. And having those be as professional and as um, robust as possible is something that's very important to me. Now, realistically, what was happening is I was getting bogged down by like kind of the rework time that it takes to write reports and not being able to, and I wasn't spending as much time as I would like focusing on the expert analysis, the diagnostic impressions, kind of shaping where I thought really effective and appropriate strategies, recommendations, goals, and objectives. I was not able to spend my time on that really like amazing, beautiful part of the report that teams hopefully find so helpful because I was spending it doing a lot of that rework. And what I mean by rework is like, you know, rewriting, evaluate, but like the evaluations, um, you know, re- rewriting a lot of the background information, a lot of the reason for referrals, a lot of those, that type of information is the same from report to report. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find a way and develop a way that that rework time could be reduced so the amount of time we spend, again, on that diagnostic impression, that expert analysis, could be increased. And so that's how kind of Easy Report Pro, um, that was the originating thought of, of mm-hmm. that platform. And so I worked with um, a programmer, and we started to develop these resources that could get kind of pieced together um, through automatic outlines. And those, these report outlines really encompass all of those essential components that, uh, like that reports need, the essential content. Um, and then we also implemented auto-populate. So names and gender preferences are auto-populated throughout every single resource that we developed, as well as auto-score match. So scores that were entered automatically matched to tables that were displayed, as well as the narratives that were displayed. And so we basically eliminated any embarrassing errors that sometimes occur. <laughs> when, when the wrong kid's <laughs> name is in your report. Yes. Yep. Right, yep. Right. Or we've all been there. I know. I hate mm-hmm. to think we've all been there where wrong, right, wrong names have been in the report, wrong gender preferences have been in the report, or when the scores in the write-up may not match the scores in the table. Mm-hmm. And um, right, it is, it's embarrassing, it's unprofessional, and it really doesn't reflect the type of expertise that we bring to the right. table when thinking about um, just the power and the value of diagnostic evaluations. So, yeah. And- 
It's what, in one of my school districts, I they have all of the valuations done by an SLP that is there in person. And then, but I am the one determining goals off of that and attending the IEP meeting off of that. And through the years, I've seen some great ones and I've seen some not so great ones. And I really think it is that that component that you talked about that we are trying to take so much time just to put the meat of what happened in yeah. the evaluation that I've have a lot of reports that miss the analysis. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, yes, you gave me the scores, but I wasn't there to watch this kid. So I cannot determine what my goal should be just from the scores that you gave me. And it's so frustrating. So I think that is a way that would um, kind of eliminate how much time it takes to do all of those little, the nitpicky, but have to be in there, but are kind of the same for everybody things. Right. And so, and what we've done is, um, so we have obviously a library of, of resources and they're from like multiple choice checklists for reason for referral. Is it a triannual? Is it an initial? Is it, um, you know, so kind of like the commonly used types of statements. Um, we have multiple choice checklists for background information and it will give you like a starting sentence, of course, you can go in and then add clinic, uh, clinically um, unique or client unique, student unique information, but at least like the frame of that section is completed for you. Um, you can also add in your own template. So I know a lot of clinicians, they'll, they'll say, they'll tell me like, okay, great. I love that you have templates in there, but I want to use my own. And the platform allows clinicians to, to add in their own templates and then use our tools, those auto-populate and that auto-score match to, um, those features to then kind of like ramp up or data optimize your own templates using this platform. And the, your own templates are secure. They are personal. They are not shared with anyone else, but you can absolutely harness like the optimization part of this software um, for your own unique verbiage and text. Yeah, yeah I love that because I, um, a lot of times we'll use some criterion referenced assessments, yeah. like there's the narrative language uh, measure that's online. And yeah, I've tried, you know, I've written that up several times and tried to fit it in reports and make it look good in reports. But I love that idea that I could just like take that and create a template and have that yes. just pop into my reports. I love that. Great. Yeah. So we have criterion referenced assessments in um, Easy Report Pro. We also have a lot of standardized assessments and we're always adding more. So we love, we thrive on feedback and suggestions. Um, an example of that is we just added in the communication matrix and the um, functional communication profile, which are more qualitative type of mm -hmm. observational assessments. I just so, saw someone panicking in Facebook of how to write up that assessment. <laughs> hey, you, welcome <laughs> to Easy one. Report Pro. We've got That's you right. covered. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yeah, so we are always adding resources, assessments, um, observations, recommendations, and um, we, we just love the dialogue. We love people looking for different ways of doing things. So do you guys have relationships with the major publishers to 
Uh, how's right. that going? So we actually, so because we own, so we do not. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna start again. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna like take rewind, this rewind, rewind. Um, because there is a consideration for um, using publications and like using their manuals and things like that. So we we do not link like a raw score with a standard score. So mm-hmm. you still need the manual. You still need the uh, testing protocols. You still mm-hmm. need the, um, you know, everything that you're supposed to buy from the publisher. You absolutely need that. So you do your evaluation as normal. Right. Where Easy Report Pro comes in is in the write-up. So after you've gotten the scores and you want to write up your report, that's where Easy Report Pro comes in. It's kind of like you can go to Teachers Pay Teachers and buy templates, report templates. They usually come in text-based or um, PDF. Sometimes they're in Excel. Um, It's it's that type of approach. Yep. So, and, And that's also a reason why we can expand our resources so quickly. Right. is we're not um, infringing on any copyright material. It's all kind of after after the evaluation, after you've gotten your scores, that's when um, Easy Report Pro is the tool that you can use to write up the, the results. So clinicians, do they uh, subscribe? Is this a subscription-based? Yes, Okay. So it, it is a, subs- a subscription-based, subscri- oh my gosh, yes, you can buy it monthly. <laughs> um, you can go for three months or mm-hmm. a year. And we also offer free trials. So every single person, when you sign up, gets 30 days free just to kind of test out the system, see if it works. Um, mm-hmm. We also offer extended free trials. And um, I'd love to offer an extended free trial to for your listeners if they use um, the code Tela three the number three free they can get free um, three unlimited months for the entire platform Great. and um, and yeah so right and there there are other ways that people can get extended access is if they um, refer us to somebody for to a friend or colleague that they know um, they'll get an extra free month or if they give us a testimonial or if they contribute, even at some, oh, yeah. we have some clinicians who want to contribute their own templates to the platform. And mm-hmm. if they're a contributor, then we give them extended free time um, as well. And so this is available now. So people so, can go right on to the website and, and so the, the website, Easy yes. Report Pro. Yeah. So you, easyreportpro.com. People can go mm-hmm. right onto it. They can click the sign up for, um, button that's on the top. And then they'll, when they sign in, they'll get prompted to put in a promo code. And again, if they put in that promo code, Tela3 free, they'll just automatically get three free months. Awesome. Well, that's very generous of, of you guys doing that. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. We're happy. Yeah. We're happy, happy to do it. That's awesome. And so how do you guys uh, envision going forward? Uh, you're going to continue to add more and more 
uh, criterion-based assessments, more and more templates, things like that. Where do you want to go with all this? So ideally, yes, we'll continue to grow our resources. Um, We'd also, we're starting to go into other fields. So occupational therapy, um, psychology, physical therapy, um, functional vision assessments are also in there. Very nice. Also, we would love to create kind of this community around providing, delivering really effective evaluations and reaching out to experts in the field, whether they're experts in augmentative communication or experts in executive functioning, experts Mm -hmm. in proxy of speech, kind of pulling together this, again, amazing resource of knowledge of people that we have in our field and having them help, whether it's novice clinicians or new to the profession clinicians, or even people who have been, been at it for a long time, but may not um, evaluate, for, exa- for example, a proxy of speech often. Being able to access those types of resources um, in a really seamlessly way, seamless way is something that we're, that's kind of our big goal is to create a community where we can um, not only have the resources for the technical report writing stuff, but also just kind of broadening people's access to knowledge and expertise. Oh, that's a that's that. an amazing goal. That's Thanks, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, Michelle, thank you for all of that. Um, you know, but this whole discussion is really just a, you know, an introduction to what we really need to do. And that and that is our moment of Zen. <laughs> so we have a, a list of 10 questions we ask our guests uh, during our moment of Zen. And it's based on the Proust uh, questionnaire that um, you might be familiar with, may not be familiar with. No, but I'm so excited. <laughs> So, uh, so let's see how you do. So, and you can answer any way you want. Short answer, okay. long answers. You can elaborate. You can choose not to. Whatever you want to. Do. Okay. So, what is the most used app on your phone? Oh my gosh. Oh, can I tell you? I really don't even like using my phone. Okay, <laughs> I think screen time is terrible, but <laughs> a telepractice person saying yeah, I know. screen time is terrible. <laughs> I know for like casual purposes. Um, okay. So the most used app. Oh, I'm going to, f- I feel like this is, I really use like text the most okay. or oh, Pandora. No, no. Pandora. Yes. Pandora. Pandora. Okay. For, for music. Yes. Good. Good. And what kind of music do you listen to? So I really like um, kind of blues grassy type oh. of music. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I, I like grew yoga. I'll do like yoga, yoga music for meditation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I grew up listening to bluegrass music. Yeah. I, I grew up in the South. So um, what was the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Okay. So I have kids. So mm. as a family, we watched uh, Hawkeye. That was the last oh, okay. TV the, show. Yeah, the new Disney Marvel. Yes. yes. Good. Yes. What's a favorite book? Pillars of the Earth, hands down. 
Pillars of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth. That was fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? I think it would be listening to people who view life differently than you with an open mind. Oh, very nice. We definitely need that today. <laughs> yes. In our country. <laughs> yes. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Michelle Obama. I feel like, is that too obvious? I no, feel like, yeah. That, that, that might be our most popular answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. true. Um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way that you'd like. Well, the scariest experience I ever had is actually is kind of a personal experience. I had my daughter at 24 weeks gestation. Mm. So she was one pound to 10 ounces. Mm -hmm. And I had her, I didn't even realize I was in labor. Mm. I literally, yes. So going through an experience of having an extreme, like a micro preemie, like an extremely mm -hmm. premature infant, um, shifted my world so completely and mm -hmm. kind of threw me into in one moment, I was having like a normal pregnancy. I was fine. And then literally within hours, life was not fine. And it was terrifying. And so that is absolutely the scariest <laughs> moment I, I've ever, <laughs> I've, it was the scariest like year I've ever had. Yes. I, I, I can relate. You can. Mm -hmm. My daughter, Caitlin, who is now 28 years old. So 28 years ago, she was born at 26 weeks gestation, one pound, 12 ounces. Wow. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. And right. So you know what it was like, like months of the NICU, not mm -hmm. even. 67 days. 67 See how days. I can re just remember all I those details. I was going to say, and you still remember it. 67 days. remember it. 67, 93 days. Wow. Wow. It's a, like a moment in, yeah, I, I'm, I have, God, I'd be so curious to talk to you. Like, it's a, this moment in my life where my daughter's 18 and mm -hmm. I can remember everything mm -hmm. from those 93 days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, my wife and I, yes, that was, that was probably one of the scariest moments in our, you know, life right. together is dealing with that situation as right. and she was our first child and so we were new parents and and hadn't been married that long and yeah. uh and then this happened and uh so but she's Caitlin has done well she she had some um curvature uh, some scoliosis curvature of the yeah. spine and she had uh surgery for that when she was about 11 but otherwise right. she's done great she's uh, <laughs> a a nurse down in Florida she just got married this past summer so um very proud of her she's done well that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful to hear that. But it's shocking how one thing shifts your entire life outlook. Yep. True. And, and my wife is a speech pathologist too. So, yes. you know, so we're, we're going into this like, oh, you know, we're going to be prepared because you know, I was like hearing loss. Like, okay. If it's, you know, if she has these issues, I can, I can handle that because I know how to deal with it. And she was like, well, I like this, you know, I, you know, so we were trying to 
prepare ourselves when when she was born, you know. But fortunately, yeah. she's she's been fine. Oh, that's great. Um, so scariest thing the the number one answer is having children is the scariest <laughs> thing that people say. So yours fits. Done. It fits. So it fits. <laughs> okay. It does fit. Just a little extra with your your answer <laughs> yeah. there. Um, what's uh, excuse me? Where's the most exotic or farthest place you've been? Oh, let's see. Well, the year before COVID, we I actually traveled with my with my family up to the fields in Canada, but we went to um, like several hours past Quebec City to these fjords, and that it was just like a surreal, beautiful place. And I gosh, I forget the name of like the exact town of where we were. It was really in the middle of nowhere, but this just stunningly, um, like amazing natural beauty. And I would say, I don't know if that is necessarily the furthest, but I would say that is the most like, <laughs> yes. Well, remote and just kind of inspiring. Like sure. in, if, if you can think of like nature as inspiring, like the, Sure. It was just like this inspiring, beautiful place that we traveled to. That's great. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Well, okay, if I could try anything, I would love to be an engineer, but mm-hmm. Makes my sense. mind is, or I think a psychologist. Interesting. <laughs> I think yeah. one of those two things. That's great. Yes. What's a pet peeve that you have? Let's see. A pet peeve. Well, it can, so can I say, but like when my husband tells me what to do, is that one? <laughs> Wait, no, can you? Can, can I get He doesn't out? listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's how that's how you can test to see if he did listen. Right. <laughs> did you hear what my pet peeve was? <laughs> no, that's not true. It's always constructive. It's always constructive. Um, let's see a pet peeve. Um, well, I think people. Um, oh, like like people cutting me off. You know, I feel like that's mm. pretty typical. Like people cutting right. me off, or people walking across the street without looking. So where mm-hmm. I live in a t- it, I live in a town and people actually do that quite frequent, frequently. They will just like kind of walk across the street with, mm-hmm. without looking and, um, expect you to stop. stop. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My wife, when she drives, she does not like pedestrians. <laughs> just in general. Just in general. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, she, uh, it's a wonder that she hasn't hit someone and and <laughs> put someone in the hospital or worse by now because she just thinks that they should be able to turn and look and see that <laughs> she's it's <true>. coming. <laughs> it's absolutely was, true. My my grandma dry, drove until she was ninety five, and that was always mm. her theory: is they can see me, That's right. <laughs> they can get out of my way, they can see me. <laughs> I think yes. my wife is related to your grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> So the last question, and this is actually the one question that's a part of the original Prowse questionnaire. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? So if heaven exists, well, let's see here. So 
wait, can I tell you my view on heaven? Sure. <laughs> so I sort of feel that um, he- heaven is analogous to like this just positive energy that is probably around all of us. And so if I could have a message when I pass and go to go to heaven, what would I want God to say? You know, I just hope that my intentions were good. Like, I just hope that when I look back or when somebody, when God is giving me feedback or saying, <laughs> telling me something on life that they would say, yeah, your intentions for this life were good. Like whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a partner, whether it's being a professional um, or just a, a human being in general, hopefully. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> I have good intentions. That's perfect. Yeah. She was well-intentioned. Well, well. <laughs> Welcome. Come on in. <laughs> I think just, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's great. Well, Michelle, thank you for being with us. And one more time, how can people check out Easy Report Pro and maybe get in touch with you if they have questions? Yes. So to check out the website, go to easyreportpro.com and you can sign up. And you can, again, use that promo code, that TELA3FREE, for three free months. And please reach out to me if you have any questions. My email is michelle, with two L's, B, at easyreportpro.com. And we love feedback. We love suggestions. And we just also, I personally really love helping um whether it's CFs or Nooch the Profession clinicians, kind of get themselves organized and uh, write really professional, robust reports. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us and good luck with Easy Report Pro and everything else that you're doing. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure getting to talk with you and, and see you both. That was Michelle Boisvert. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us. As I mentioned to you prior to the interview, I've always been a fan of your work, and I would encourage all of you to definitely check out the articles and other materials that Michelle has produced uh, over the years, and uh, they are just outstanding. And please, please check out Easy Report Pro. And if you listen to this episode of the podcast, you probably heard that there was a code that you can use to get some free access to Easy Report Pro over at easyreportpro.com. So make sure you listen to, uh, to Michelle in this episode and you get that code. And with that, thank you for listening please leave us a five-star review that always helps us attract new listeners and new subscribers. Until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.